Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you all. Um, and you probably want me to answer the question straight away. Why that passage this morning, Josh? It's not a psalm of comfort, really, in a tricky time, is it? It's not a gentle word of encouragement. That passage is, it's more like an electric shock, really, isn't it? Or it's more like, or maybe like a shot of tequila or something, or, or maybe both at the same time. Um, you know, I don't know how you're feeling after, how long has it been? Endless months in lockdown. I'm sure you feel like me, like a stale ham sandwich left a molder in a kid's lunchbox somewhere. Um, you know, life's, life's tricky. And it's true, we know where we've come from in France. They've had a far rougher time of COVID with many more, more than 100,000 deaths. They've had more than 20,000 new cases a day for, for just forever, it seems. Um, and so it, there are trickier places to have COVID. And yes, just because other people have it maybe a little bit harder, that doesn't mean it's not hard for us, does it? If you break your toe, the fact that you didn't break your leg doesn't mean you breaking your toe doesn't hurt. And it's hard for us in lockdown. I've found it hard. It's annoying. It's frustrating. We can be anxious and isolated. You wouldn't think Revelation would have the answers for us. But you know what? Revelation is a perspective shock. And I love that because it's got a bigger, grander perspective. And it helps. It helps us while we're in lockdown and we feel like we're in Groundhog Day. And it's just as helpful in normal life when actually everything's going well and everything, we're just completely taken up in that. Revelation, it reminds us that there's a greater perspective and that we can endure evil and suffering and triumph over them by Jesus. So let's look at the passage together. We saw some strange images there, didn't we? Uh, verse 1 tells us of a cosmic pregnant woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and 12 stars for a crown. Then we have a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Then we have a baby who's destined to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and we have a war between the angels and the dragons. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but honestly, it made me immediately think of uh, Marvel movies. I don't know if anyone else felt like that, but with the cosmic figures, the dragons, heavenly battles, kind of Marvel movies meets Game of Thrones is what I thought of. And we watched a lot of this uh, in hotel quarantine, Marvel movies, not um, Game of Thrones, um, and they're great for escapism. But this passage is not escapism. This passage is more like surrealism. Uh, that was an art style or movement that was known for its strange, shocking, bizarre images. Here, I've got some pictures. These strange, shocking, bizarre images that kind of cause you to rethink the way you see the world and do lots of sort of profound staring and scratching your chin and saying, hmm. Now, surrealism, surrealism, located meeting on the inside of your unconscious, in your dreams. But I don't know if the same thing's true of you, but if the meaning of life is found in my dreams, we are all in big trouble, Right? Because they're no good. That, that just doesn't help us to be told, you know, to remember times when I went to school, but this time I don't have any pants because my dream didn't bring that in. No, Revelation 
is not locating meaning inside us. It's locating meaning outside of us. It's got a style called apocalyptic and it's soaked in the Old Testament, in imagery, in symbols, in colours and numbers. And it pushes us to rethink the way we see the world. So who's who and what's what in that story? Well, the the key is to, to see the big picture and to just sit lightly with the details. The dragon wants to kill the child of this woman. Okay. The clearest thing, it seems to me, in the passage is the identity of the child. We read in verse 5, they're to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's a straight quote from Psalm 2 in the Old Testament, which is describing the Messiah, God's chosen king, who was not going to be like our leaders that last for a couple of years and have a limited area. This one was going to be a ruler of all nations for all time. And we know from reading the Bible, the child is Jesus. The dragon, verse 9 a bit later, tells us, is the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And the woman represents Israel, the one from whom the Messiah comes, her 12 tribes pictured in the sort of 12 stars around there. Now, what's the story being told here? Can, do you want to, what did it make you think of when you see this image of the woman and the baby and the dragon? Child? What, what came into your head, if it's helpful? Does, does anyone want to just, just share something with us? Does, does it make you think of something maybe in the Bible, another part, picture in the Bible? Feel free to share if anyone has anything that came into their minds. I thought of Mary, Jesus, and maybe Herod. Okay. Thanks for that, Alex. Anyone else? Yeah, I'll keep going. I I was immediately made to think of the nativity story. It seems like a retelling. That is of the dragon, the devil that stands behind Herod when he attempts to murder Jesus. And that helps us because often we think of Revelation as predicting the future, whereas actually a lot of Revelation is helps us understand history that we live in, human history. And so this is retelling history. And it also might make us think of Exodus in the Old Testament when the people of Israel escaped the murderous such as a pharaoh when he was trying to kill the Hebrew boys. It might make us think of Daniel, the book of Daniel, and the exile. It may even take us right back to the garden where the devil tried to lead God's people astray. And you see, Jesus' birth is the climax of a long history of attacks on God's people, from Pharaoh to Assyria to Babylon to Greece, Rome, Herod. And behind it all stands the devil attacking God's plans and people with chaos and destruction. This is the overarching story of the Bible and the claim is of human history. See, it's challenging and confront and comforting. The pandemic is not eternal. It's not ultimate reality, even though it feels like it is for us right now. There's a greater reality than that, and the Bible speaks of that. But you know what? Even normal life isn't ultimate reality either. You know, normal life, work, house, say the kids to school, go to the gym, do all these other things. They're not all their aims. Revelation kind of blows that apart. There's a greater reality with God's chosen king, Jesus, 
and there's a struggle and a victory. Now, the pandemic can bring all sorts of struggles for, to us, and it's natural to hope for the end of it. But if our only hope is for life to return to normal, then normal is our ultimate reality. Can I urge you to not let this time pass without trying to recalibrate or reset your perspective, to put God's plans and his perspective, his story in the centre of your life, in your perspective, put in your hopes in our dreams. It's challenging getting through lockdown and we're challenged to be pulled away from God. But the challenge here, like the devil trying to attack God's people, the challenge is to not be pulled away but to go deeper with God. That's the perspective we want to see in our lives and see this pandemic that helps us relativize it a bit. Well, that's the perspective shock. But even more profoundly, how can we endure suffering and triumph over evil in our lives? Well, let's dig in a bit bit deeper because the Bible is clear that just as there is a material dimension to our lives that we can see and, and touch, And there's an ethical dimension, right and wrong, that we can't touch. There's also a spiritual dimension to life, to the universe. That touches us whether we're aware of it or like it or not. And the devil is part of that. Ultimately, there's two sides in the universe and good wings. Now, we might think, well, that sounds again a bit like Marvel movies, Josh, the kind of good and evil or Star Wars. It sounds a bit strange. But, you know, our society has ideas actually very similar to this all the time. Uh, There's a quote that came out. I'll just share my screen again. There's a famous quote uh, from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that was um, quoted by presidents before where he says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. You see, many in our society think there is a a good, right, just way in the universe and a bad way, and that the good justice will ultimately win. That's not too dissimilar to what we see here, is it? Or do you remember some of the headlines we saw from 2020 and maybe 2021 now? The year that fell apart, the worst year. Well, if, if the year that can fall apart, then there's people have a way the world should be in their heads. We have that picture and the Bible tells us there is a way the world should be and it's God's way. And so this is not that strange. Actually, this just helps us to see why we have these thoughts that things aren't right. There is a good and right way and that's God's way and God's plans. And there's an evil way that is trying to ruin God's plans. Now, the child Jesus, we've already talked about him, he's central to this battle. Now, verse 5 tells us, He's sort of caught up to God on his throne. And I think what we see there is it's capturing the sort of birth, life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus in a phrase. Revelation is very symbolic and it's capturing how important Jesus is to history into this passage. And what's clear is that the devil is defeated. Verse 9 tells us he's thrown down. In fact, it tells us twice, he's thrown down by Jesus' victory. And we remember perhaps Jesus saying in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. There is a battle, but the defeat of evil is decisive. 
We can endure and triumph over evil by Jesus. And verses 10 and 11 are key. And I'm just going to share my screen again and just read for you verses 10 and 11. They're absolutely essential. They've got right the heart of our whole picture. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You can see God's plans right at the centre there. Now, when we imagine how Jesus conquers the devil, we might imagine a sort of spiritual wrestle, a kind of, you know, hexagon or an octagon and a mixed martial arts duel spiritually with Jesus where he triumphs by his spiritual power. And he does defeat evil spirits in the Gospels by his authority. But there's more going on here. The the real power in the devil doesn't lie in demonic possession or devil worship or, or fighting the Tesseract like some sort of a Marvel movie. Look at what the devil's called. In our verse 10 we just had read, it calls him the accuser. That's actually what Satan means, the accuser, someone who accuses you of what you've done wrong. The devil, the word the devil actually means slanderer. Again, that's that's, that's the same sort of family of words, isn't it? It's, it's the pointing at you and saying what you've done wrong. And then verse 9 that we already referred to calls the devil the deceiver, the one who leads the whole world astray. His power is words, and he attacks our minds. The devil deceives people into thinking that we just don't need God in our lives or that I can decide good and evil for myself and that, or that if there is a God, then I'm good enough for God and he should accept me. Or he deceives me into thinking I can't trust God and that he's not interested in my life. And then when we believe the devil, the devil also accuses us with our failures, with our flaws, with our weaknesses, with our faults. Accuses us of our sin, our pride, the hurt we've caused others, the things we've done. And how does Jesus conquer the one who accuses and deceives? Verse 11 says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. The truth of the gospel defeats the devil's lies and destroys his accusations because Jesus pays by his blood our our punishment that we deserve, the justice we deserve, like a fine that's paid, like a sentence of the blood of the lamb brings us forgiveness, makes the accusations empty and brings us to God. You see, they defeat him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, the word of the gospel they hold to. His weapons are words, which is why it's another word, the word of the gospel that overcomes him. Can I ask you, do you know this word of the gospel? Have you experienced this victory that we can have in Jesus? Uh, Verse 12 says, therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in him. Have you appreciated more and more in this pandemic the victory Jesus has won? Hopefully you've appreciated our weakness and our, 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 our fableness, our feebleness, our frailty. 
I hope that it's driven you to Jesus and you rejoice. Maybe you've come to appreciate new souls describing Jesus. I was really impacted by one that's called King of Kings. I think it's a Hillsong song. It's got great words that describe how important Jesus is and how he's launched the church and to the world with this message. Um, Jesus has won. And the last, verses, the last verses of our passage tell us the devil's defeat is sealed. His time is short. But verse 17 says he goes to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's command and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now, in the first century, the church that received this letter were under persecution by the Roman Empire. We don't face persecution like that. Um, if you wanted to read more about the persecution they undergo, this book's just come out, Bullies and Saints by John Dixon. It's a fascinating book that really helps us to understand the history of the church and how the church was persecuted. I recommend it. We don't face physical persecution, but the devil use any situation like lockdown to deceive us and accuse us. But remember, we respond to his words with the word of the gospel. Because God's promised to change us. So when the devil deceives us and says, this lockdown's never going to end, God doesn't have your good in mind, God's not really in control, he can't be trusted, we don't panic. We respond, it is hard, but we know that neither death nor life nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God who works for the good of those who love him. When, when the devil accuses us, or our thoughts accuse us, when we think, oh, you're, we're weak and lazy, we're bad sons and daughters, we're terrible parents, we're hopeless friends, we're awful homeschoolers of our kids, we say, yep, sometimes. But we face our failures knowing there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank God and ask for help. When the devil flatters us and says, it's all those other leaders who are so stupid. It's all those people who are dumb and hopeless. We say, you know what? They do make mistakes, just like me. And we pray with Jesus, Father, forgive them as you forgive my pride and arrogance and give them and me wisdom. If this pandemic causes you to call out to God more than ever, know that God's using this time to draw you closer to him. And help us endure these triumph, these doubts and suffering and evil by Jesus. Um, just the last verse. It's not the last verse. It's a verse, a couple of verses later. And I just wanted to share that too, because I think it's where this ends up in this, this text. It goes down and it talks about another angel flying in midair with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. And this is ultimately why we're in France, you know. The gospel that defeats the accusations. People in France are very pessimistic and they've been sad, they've been struck down, they've struggled with much mental um, mental health issues, our students have struggled and it's exposed all of their weakness that we have, that everything we thought was so reliable is actually so feeble. It's been marvellous seeing our students hold out the gospel like this angel, hold it out. They, they ran a night where they just shared on Zoom their experiences of God. 
it was great. It was clunky. It was awesome. It was awkward. And it was cool at the same time. And it, they testified like the saints we see in this passage to the love of God. Can I urge you as we finish up, thank you for your support of us. We could not be there without you. And so we are so thankful for your support. Can I urge you to join in this task of preaching this God, bringing the gospel to our friends and family. Are you ready not to jump on people and say, you see everything you trusted isn't reliable, but just to call them up, to ask how they're going, to love them, to listen, to sympathise, and maybe to say if the moment comes. It's hard, isn't it? Here's why I've been forced back on God, and here's why my faith in Jesus is so helpful. Will you pray with me and will you join with us as we continue to bring this gospel to the world? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you for this passage that gives us a shock and that reminds us of your big picture. Father God, help us to know that Jesus and that his blood are the victory over the evil one that we need. Father God, when we are tempted to be deceived by our thoughts, when our thoughts accuse us, when the devil accuses us, Lord, help us to be driven back to Jesus, to find refuge in him and to endure and triumph over these things by Jesus and help us to bring this good news to others, to our loved ones, to those who don't know him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.